Welcome to the Heights Sermon Series Podcast, where each week you'll hear a new message that'll help you with your life shaped by the Word. Well, good morning, and what a great morning it's been, hasn't it? And what a great week I hope it's going to be. We uh, have Trunk or Treat in front of us this Tuesday night, where we're going to shift from a hot summer to a winter in like one day. This is crazy. Pray, pray for the weather uh, this coming Tuesday night. You know, folks, I would not have guessed this with, with something like Halloween or, or Trunk or Treat. But uh, last year, Trunk or Treat 2022 was the largest single event that brought people to our church. We had over 6,000 here uh, last year for trunk or treat. And, uh, you know, that's crazy people running around and everything. And, you know, you can't tell who everybody is or what's going on. And, and yet all year long, we've had people that have come to our church from their first visit with trunk or treat. And I'm talking about as recently as August, September, I'm talking to people who are in our service for the very first time. And I say, well, what, what brought you to our church? I was here for trunk or treat last year. So there's going to be people here this Tuesday night, and they may not show up the next Sunday, but, but there they're going to be months down the road. And I, I mean, I've heard that story in August and September, I think three different times. So it really is something to be praying for and praying God to use it in a great way and for good weather. I, I sure hope you're going to be here, bring family, friends, uh, add to that synergy and excitement. Watch social media on, on Tuesday. We'll be making announcement. What I understand is rain or shine. Well, there's no chance of shine because it's at nighttime, but you get what I mean. Even if it's raining, we're, we're going to have it. Uh, and now obviously what that means is we'll be shifting that entirely indoors. Last year, and I think this had something to do with people coming back, about half of Trunk or Treat was indoors and half was outdoors. So it'll be all indoors if it is raining. I, we may be doing the, uh, the, the hayride up and down the concourse. Probably not. So if that's the only thing that brings you is the hayride, then I, yeah, stay home, I guess. But hey, be praying for it. It's going to be a great night, Tuesday night, uh, I think, no matter what happens. So uh, also, just real quickly, uh, I got two emails this week. Am I late for the, the Mission Dignity offering? No, you're not. We're taking that through November 5th. Now, when I say that, if you give something to Mission Dignity at any time, we're, we're going to send it to them. But if you're like, I want to be a part of the big total when we hand it to the guy who's here on November 12th, well, that's through next Sunday, November 5th. So you can still give to that. And can I, I'm not going to tell you the total. I want you all to be as surprised as the guy. But y'all are incredible. I would say it's shocking what you've done. You're not shocking because y'all do that all the time, but it, I, I think you're going to be really excited to see uh, what I hand him on that day. So thank you so much for your faithfulness, your generosity, your sacrifice. I, I'm saying that like everybody in here knows we're talking about Mission Dignity. It's a ministry we're supporting. It, it provides very significantly for uh, pastors and missionaries who are retired and living below the poverty line. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how that happens, why, why that is. But the, these are people that are elderly, 
living below the poverty line after giving a life of of ministry. So uh, thank you for giving so generously to that. Well, we're we're continuing our series today in Genesis. Man, we're down to just a couple messages. We've been at it since uh, Easter, and we're about to wrap this up. And it just continues to be so exciting, which is a kind of a hard word to use when I use the word exciting with what we're actually talking about today. Because when we look at Joseph's life, it's going to be very similar to any of our lives in this. There's always in this world, there's always going to be opportunity to say, God, where are you? Where are you? What are you doing? Why did this happen? Why didn't this happen? It, it feels like, it seems like, if there was a God and he was good and he has all power, then, then this would have happened. We're going to ask that question in this life. Now, you know, if you notice, we usually answer that question when bad stuff's happening. I mean, something, think about it. I should want to know the answer to that question, good or bad, right? But it's usually the bad that makes me say, hey, God, you... You should have. And boy, we really think that when we've, I'm not sure what the right phrase is here, when we've done our part. You know, we know God is eternal and infinite, and he's not going to boil him down into what fits our mind. We don't want him to, and yet we do. I want God to fit into a formula. And here's the formula. I do these things. And then we add God being God, and God does his things, and then out pops a happy me. Now, that kind of trivializes a little bit, but I mean, hey, if, I, if God's doing his part and I'm doing my part, then out should pop this product where I get it, and I understand, and I'm happy, and life is working. And sometimes it may not actually be what has happened or what is going on in my life. Gosh, just think of the events we've been viewing on TV the last couple of weeks. I mean, you look out in the world and say, God, don't you care? Shouldn't you do something about that? Listen, let me say it again. If you're living on this planet, there's going to be opportunity to look out there in the world and say, God, you should have done this and you didn't. You should have been there and you weren't. I should have been able to know your presence and, and not. And boy, folks, when we're in that place, it's hard to hold on to God. Hard to have faith. But God has not left us without answers when we're in the dark. God has answers. God has direction on where living because he knows. He knows that's where we're going to be. Think about the life of Joseph. This is 25%, over 25% of the book of Genesis, which is a foundation for the whole rest of the Bible. Everything happening in the Bible is responding to the things we've learned in Genesis. And what does God spend over a quarter of that book doing? Displaying the life of Joseph, because it's, it's a life we're all living. It's questions and issues we're all dealing with, and he wants us to have those answers. So what I want to do today, go ahead and turn in your Bible to Genesis 37. What I want to do today is, we've already been to Genesis 37. I'm going to read a number of passages that we've already read, that, that we've already looked at. But when we looked at them, we were kind of zooming in and understanding that piece of Joseph's life, that situation there. But we're going to zoom out a little bit today, and we're going to kind of get a picture of his whole life 
and, and what, what we're going to see is going on in that. What we're seeing is going on with him. What we're seeing is going on with God. So I'm going to read some passages we've already looked at. I'm just doing that to get the story in front of us. And then I'll come back and fill in a little bit more of the context. So Genesis 37, let me begin in verse 5. One night, Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Now, let me stop right there. They hated him more. Now, they already hated him, okay? We, we've kind of laughed and looked at 37 and how Joseph communicated these dreams, and we said, hey, it might have been a little arrogant there. There might be a little bit of a better way that he could have done that. But I understand they hated him before the dreams, Okay, now, hey, we're, we're, we all sin. We all have dysfunctional relationships. This dynamic here was really, though, remember where it was created? By the dad. The dad had just gross, gross favoritism in the family that put Joseph, the baby of the family at the time, uh, over and above everybody. And they hated him for it. Okay, so that's, that's what's going on. And now we're going to see him hate him even more. Verse 6, listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field and tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly my bundle stood up and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. Don't you know in a group of brothers that's got to go over pretty well. Hey, I have this dream where y'all are all worshiping me. Isn't that cool? <laughs> Verse 8. His brothers responded, wait, what? You, you think you'll be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated that second time, right? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. Drop down to verse 23, same chapter. It says, so when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. Then they grabbed him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. Then just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming toward them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum, balm, and aromatic resin from Gilead down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, I I love their morality starting to kick in here. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother? Now, if you can show me where we gain something, we'll go ahead and kill him. But right now he's saying, I'm at a loss. What do we gain by killing him? I mean, hey, we're going to have to cover up the crime. What? (laughs) Is that the only reason you're not killing him? Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. After all... Again, listen to this morality. After all, he is our brother. Let's just sell him into slavery instead of killing him because he's our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. So when the Ishmaelites, who were, with the, who were Midianite traders, came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern and sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver. And the traders took him to Egypt. And that brought us to the story we looked at last week. They sell him to a guy named Potiphar. Joseph, I mean, all things considered, lands on his feet, which he has an incredible ability to do. It seems like in every situation, he lands on his feet and things are kind of, I guess, again, all things considered going well until Potiphar's wife starts taking a liking to him and basically makes herself available to him. And he rejects that. 
So she goes to her husband with a lie. And we pick up in verse 19. This is where we were at last week. Potiphar was, uh, chapter 39, verse 19. Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held. And there he remained. So he's not just in a prison. He's in a prison where the king particularly puts high-ranking officials, people of interest to him, special jail for him because Potiphar was, was over all that, a captain of the bodyguard. So he gets into jail, again, kind of lands on his feet and uh, meets, a, meets a couple of friends, and I'll come back and explain the context in a second, but drop to the end of chapter 40. I just want to read the last sentence, verse 23. Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, chup, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. Okay, so with those verses to kind of anchor on, let's just kind of fill out the story because we're kind of looking at his life as a whole today. So God comes to Joseph and says, hey, I'm going to use you in a great way. I'm going to use you in a big way. I think today we, we say that, we phrase that a lot with a phrase like, hey, God loves you and he's got a great plan for your life. To which I would respond, well, I'm all about a great plan for my life. Sign me up. Let's, let's do this. And so uh, Joseph signs, and before the ink is even dry, holy cow, his life just becomes awful. I mean, it just starts spiraling out of control. And that's, that's where we run up on this story. He's going out one day to, to see his brothers, and it read real quickly, real cleanly. They take his coat and throw him in a, in a pit. Okay, that doesn't sound very pleasant, does it? I'll guarantee it was a lot worse than we read it. You know, I, listen, they have a murderous hatred for their brother. They're, they're considering killing him before they get there. That's the mood they're in. That's the energy that they're bringing to this. Now, I've seen my, my sons when they were six and seven years old having fun, loving life, loving each other, and come inside with a bloody lip and a, and a bruised eye. Okay, so when brothers are having fun, they beat each other up. There's no fun here. This isn't about fun. This is a murderous hatred. So I'll guarantee you, he is laying in that bottom of that pit, very bloodied, very bruised, very bewildered at what's going on. How long does he lay there? Don't really know. But he lays there and pretty soon a rope comes down. Don't you know it's a little bit nervous grabbing a hold of that rope? (laughs) What are they pulling me up to? You know, I mean, I, I want to get out of here. I don't want to stay in this pit. But are they pulling me up to another beating? Oh, gosh, if it was only another beating. Can you imagine him coming up out of the pit and his eyes just start to, t- as he gets up over the edge and he starts to, t- you know, his brothers and there's a caravan and a couple of his brothers are over there haggling and, and, and they're exchanging something and pretty soon two guys out of the caravan are coming over to him and they grab him up and he's gone. Do you, you see, we read that so quickly. Do you realize what just happened? He's just lost everything in his life. Everything. He didn't wake up knowing that morning that he was going to lose everything in his life. I imagine there's a couple people in here, probably not all of us, but there's people in here. You woke up one day having no concept that the events of that day would define your life for the rest of your life. In that moment that he's carted off, he's living in a wealthy family. He loses every penny. He loses his family, which 
the moment, losing his brothers might not have seemed so bad. But he loses his family, he loses his home, he loses everything he knows and heads off to an uncertain future. That's the best way you could describe it. He heads off to an uncertain future as a a slave. And again, lands on his feet, gets there with Potiphar and and, uh, is believing in God, is living for God. People keep noticing that about him. And you know, folks, again, remember the formula? Hey, if I'm living for God, I'm believing in God. I mean, is it entirely wrong to expect, okay, God, now you're going to do some things. And here he is, you know that moment where he's presented with evil, presented with sin, and he chooses to honor God, chooses to honor his boss, we'll call him that, chooses to obey God And what's the consequence? He gets falsely accused and thrown into prison. You see, that's a breakdown of the equation, isn't it? We've all been there. You know, hey, I'm I'm going to church. You know, I'm reading my Bible. I, I, I gave money to that, whatever that pastor was talking about the other day. I gave money to that. I was kind to a mean person. I mean, folks, this is always running in our mind. Hey, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. God, it seems like... And we have these places where the, you know, the equation starts to break down. And so there he is in prison, ends up with a couple of cellmates. Now remember, King's prison, he's in, he's in a cell with two guys, what we would call today, I think, the, they're on the president's cabinet. You know, the, these, are, these are close people to the president, close people to the pharaoh. And they're in, they're in prison and they have a dream. Well, Joseph... He knows something about dreams, knows where to go to get the answers, does that for them, and uh, tells them what those are all about, and, and it comes true. Now, that doesn't work out so well for one guy. Okay, we haven't read that yet. That's all in chapter 40. But for the other guy, it does, and, and he's, he's telling Joseph, man, thank you. This is incredible. You're awesome. And then Joseph says something that is so incredibly important to me, because Joseph always seems, it seems from the information we're given in the story, he's always got faith. He's always got a smile on his face. No matter how bad things get, he just keeps living for God, keeps loving God, just always is good. And you're like, is that real? I mean, is that a real life you're living? And we get to the end of chapter 40, you know what Joseph says to that guy? Get me out of here. I just needed to hear Joseph say that. I needed to know not every day is roses. Not every day he's having fun. It's not, well, every human being says this, it's not fair. I don't belong in here. Okay, so I know now he's dealing with real life. And that's then when we read verse 23. And the guy forgot. How? How, how would he for, this was huge. How would he forget that? And we've been forgotten, haven't we? You know, boy, today with social media, it's almost impossible not to know when you've been forgotten. I didn't know there was a party this weekend. I, I didn't know they were all getting together for, well, nobody. <laughs> it doesn't feel good to be forgotten, does it? Now, when you look at Joseph's story, I mean, you might think, okay, being forgotten, that's not as big as being beaten up. That's not as big as being sold into slavery, but I would actually suggest here being forgotten is a pretty big deal. 
that's That's a big deal. You've got a lot of time in prison to think about being forgotten. To realize your, cow, your life, it doesn't count anymore. Nobody's measuring your life. Nobody's watching your life. You've been, you've been forgotten. And at what point, at what point do you shift from thinking about a person forgetting you to starting to wonder, has God, has God forgotten? God, you do. God, you do remember, right? You do remember the plan Lord, do you know how long ago God came to him in that dream? 13 years. That, that, folks, we're not talking about a bad summer. We're not talking, boy, do you remember 2020? What a year. We're not talking about a bad year. This is 13 years of his life. At this point, he's roughly 28 years old. God said, I got a great plan for your life. And then half his life is spent in slavery or prison. I mean, isn't that a kind of a place you say, hey, God is like, is there a, is there a place here where we reevaluate the plan? Where, where we see where we are in the, God, is there an opt out clause? All things being equal, I'd rather not have any plan right now. Now, I don't know that Joseph ever had a thought like that. I don't know that he ever said anything like that. Actually, what we do know about Joseph's life, I would almost assume, I would almost assume he didn't. Which again makes me wonder, are you for real, Joseph? Are you actually living a life that there's a possibility I could strive after? And so I, I, then I know, I, hey, Joseph, what do you know? You've got to know something that is keeping you holding on to God. You've got to know something that is keeping you in the game. And he does know something. He knows the same thing that you know and that I know. I'm confident God revealed this to him. What, what do we know? Well, I can turn to another passage and I can see very specifically what God was doing in Joseph's life, what he's doing in all of our lives. I can turn to another passage. Here's what God is doing in all situations. We don't have to wonder where God is. We don't have to ask what, when, where, why. God has answered. And I want to anchor that answer to two verses in particular. The first one, Psalm 105, verse 19. If you turn to Psalm you, uh, Psalm 105, it's a, it's a long psalm, and it's one of those where, you know, we're kind of praising God for his faithfulness and how he moves and works, and it's detailing a variety of people and events in the Old Testament. One of those being the life of Joseph. And kind of right in the middle of talking about Joseph, you get to verse 19. Until what he, he's God, until what God had said, what what did God say? Those dreams. Until what God had said came to pass. Now we left off, it hadn't come to pass yet. When we get to chapter 41, verse 1, two years later. Two years later. Two years later after what? After he'd been forgotten. He's got two years more in prison to think about being forgotten. So until we get to chapter 41, everything going on from chapter 37 to 41 is in that first phrase. Well, what was God doing? The word of the Lord tested him. The word of the Lord 
tested him. God was testing. Hey, God, God is about to give Joseph a massive task, a massive responsibility. How massive? Now, this won't happen for many of us. In the same rocket ride that Joseph took into the pit, he's going to take the same rocket ride to becoming the most powerful person on planet Earth. Egypt was, at this time in history, is at the top. And he is going to take a ride that puts him... I mean, there's the Pharaoh, right? But everybody who comes to the Pharaoh with any kind of question, you know what the Pharaoh says? Ask Joseph. So Joseph is running the planet. Hey, that's a lot to get prepared for. Guess what? When God told him about that, he wasn't prepared. I mean, think of the temptations that come with that kind of wealth, that kind of responsibility, that kind of opportunity, that kind of power, that kind of fame. Hey, we can... We can take all that on for God and really mess it up. He wasn't ready. God needed to grow him. You know, God's more interested in growing you as a person than getting you to do the thing that he needs. You know why that is? Because he doesn't need you to do anything. Not one thing. All the commands that are telling us things to do, it's not because God needs us to get, boy, if I could get Randy in the game, we'd just solve this world right now. Come on, Randy, let's get going. No, God doesn't need me. You know what God allows me to do? To join God in what he's doing in this world. And when I come alongside God, when I join God in what he's doing in this world, guess what? I get rewarded for it. Guess what? I now have a purpose in in some of the worst things going on and the great things going on. There's always purpose. But to enjoy that, to experience it, we need to grow as a person. So God is using, when it says tested there, that idea of testing is, is like prove the quality of something. So we go through an event, a conversation, a relationship, and, and God's proving the quality. And when we get to the end of the test, what do we do? Well, we take some stuff out. We put some stuff in. We adjust. Now, does God take us through these tests because he's not sure what we need? No, God already knows what we need. So you and I. He's proving the quality of our life and faith to you and me. We need to know where we abandon God. We need to know when we throw our hands up. We need to know how good it can get, and somewhere along the way, we forget to acknowledge. We forget to give thanks. We actually start to think, look what I've done. So this is all growing us. God is showing us, and he's using everything going on in life. We tend to ask when bad things are happening, But the the scripture doesn't say when bad things are happening, here's what's God. In all the things, in every relationship, every conversation, you just got promoted, you just got overlooked, you you just got lied about, you just got praised. It's a great relationship. You're in a relationship with evil incarnate. I mean, in everything going on in your life, there wasn't one second you lived the last seven days that God's not using to build you, to test and build that character. Now, okay, so what does that mean he's doing? You know, I, I think there could actually be a variety of things. He's going to build our, our character. That's building me as a person. Not my activities, not the things I can, but my character. Well, what does that look like when God is building our character? Is that not what the fruit of the Spirit shows us? Look up here at Galatians chapter 5. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit. Now, fruit, when you see that word fruit, think product. 
the product of the Spirit being in my life is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Those nine things are going to be in my life. Notice, this is very important, notice the fruit is singular. It's not plural. If it was plural, you could imagine nine trees out there. Oh, there's some orange trees. There's a a pineapple tree. There's uh, an apple tree. And I could look at all the trees and say, well, I've got a good harvest from, let's see, about six of those. Okay, so there's three I'm not that good at. Stop. First of all, we're not measuring how good you are at something. We're not measuring how loving, how gentle, how patient and kind you are. What we're measuring is how in control the spirit is of your life. The Spirit has several things He does. He seals us. He indwells us. That means He comes and lives in you. He's stuck living in you. I I really feel like the Holy Spirit living, sometimes He's got to feel like, man, I'm stuck here. He indwells. He seals. He baptizes. Those three things are permanent and guaranteed. Filling of the Spirit comes and goes every day. Filling is how much the Spirit has control of me. And every time I sin, I have wrestled control back. And so any believer ought to be asking, man, how do I know if the Spirit has control of me? God says, there's the evidence. And it's not how many of those do I have. It's singular. If the Spirit's in control All nine of those things are happening. Understand that? In other words, you can be knocking it out of the park with eight. And again, it's not about you. But if one's missing, that one missing fruit means I need to be thinking, man, I'm I'm sinning. I'm wrestling control back somewhere. I need to become cognizant of where that's happening, why it's happening. I need to repent, and I need to yield back control to the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm pretty sure what I've done is I've stopped preaching the sermon I was preaching, and I'm now preaching a sermon on the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So let's zip back to where we are today. Hey, what is God doing in that conversation you had this week? What is God doing in that decision you're making? What is God doing in that thing that happened at work or at at school? He's trying to build those nine qualities into your life. Every time. You don't have to wonder those nine things. God is using to make you a gentle person, to make you a loving person, to make you a forgiving person. He's using all of that, and I know that it's working when those things are being produced. Remember, God's using all these things. Now, we've talked about in Genesis, that doesn't make God an accomplice to sin. God's using everything. That doesn't mean he sent everything. God didn't whisper into the ear of Potiphar's wife and say, hey, hey, go flash your leg and see what he does. He didn't go to the brothers and say, hey, go beat the fool out of them. No, no. Remember what we talked about in Genesis this? God lets sinners be sinners. God lets the world run its course. But what he promises to you and me holding on to them is when sinners are being sinners and the world's being the world, nothing will touch you that I won't, that I can't use. It's all going to be a part of what I'm building. Well, God, what are you building? Love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness. What else is God doing in using everything? Well, I think we know he's always, everything, he's building faith. Because without faith, it's impossible. Look at that word, impossible. 
It doesn't say that about anything else. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Why? Very simple. God's not looking to see how strong, how wise, how religious, how spiritual, how good you can be on your own. He already knows. Do you realize our very best day is tainted with sin? My goodness is tainted with sin. My strength is tainted with sin. What what does that mean, tainted? It means in all of the good things I'm doing, there's my selfishness. We do good and wonderful things because the crowd we're in will applaud us for those good and wonderful things. Sometimes the most loving, sacrificial things. When you think of loving, sacrificial people in the world, who comes to your mind? Now, I'm not making an accusation about them, but I know human nature. If this is what I do to get into heaven, then this is what I do to get into heaven. Is God the motive of what I just did, or is me getting into heaven the motive of what I just did? Does that make sense? I'm telling you, folks, selfishness drives our best days. We've got to come to the end of ourselves. So what is God going to do? He's going to use life, conversations, people, situations, to bring us to the end of ourselves so that all we have is his grace. And I am clinging to his grace. I am clinging to Christ. And now I've just tapped into his strength. His wisdom, his spirituality, his righteousness. I'm not trying to prove to God my righteousness because we all know where that ends up. No, I am clinging and holding on to the righteousness of Christ. That's what it means without faith. If you're not wholly clinging to me, then you're clinging to a whole lot of you. Without faith. So, folks, in everything God is doing, he's going to be building faith. Everything that happened this week in your life, he's trying to build faith in your life to where you end with yourself and you cling to him. Joseph's life is just, to me, a stunning example of this faith. Somebody who stays with the plan. I've used the phrase a lot in Genesis, holding on to God, having that faith today with Joseph. I, you know, God presented a plan back here in Genesis 37, and here we are 13 years later. I can't imagine a life worse, and Joseph's still in the plan. What, what does that mean to stay in the plan? You might remember a couple of uh, Sundays ago, I don't remember which one it was, three, four Sundays ago, we ended a message talking about what does it mean to hold on. It means you keep worshiping even though you're not sure you like God. You, you, you gather with God's people. You sing praise and thanks when you've got nothing to give praise or thanks about. You open his word and you let him speak into your life. When you're not even sure you believe in his voice, you're not even sure you like his voice, that's staying with the plan. You keep obeying, you keep serving, you you keep doing all those things, even though a wonderful product is not popping out where I'm happy and successful and and all that. No, I'm staying with the plan. Is that easy? Oh, gosh, no, it's hard. I mean, folks, God's building us for eternity. Most of our prayers, if not all of our prayers or in desires, are about right now. I just want this right now, God. Can we worry about eternity another time? And I'm not saying God's not interested in right here, right now. I'm not saying God doesn't have answers for right here and right now. God's just working on something a whole lot bigger, eternity. 
Well, wait, I can't even see eternity. God, if you could, this is exhausting. If you could show me some kind of finish line, if I can just see what I'm trying to get to, I think I could hold on a little bit easier. What's the finish line? Okay, there's our second verse. And our second verse is really summing up what we've been saying the whole morning here, but it also paints the finish line for us. Romans eight twenty eight to 29. We know. Oh, I love that, folks. That's what God wants for you. Not doubt and fear and confusion. Certainty. Certainty. Certainty when the worst crime evil has acted against me. Certainty when I'm watching evil in our world. We know. That for those who love God, now there's a couple of conditions here. Love God, and look at the second line, being called according to his purpose. What's love for God? It'd be nice if all it was is just like like a nice warm feeling in my tummy. Oh, I think I love God right now. That's not what it is. It certainly can involve that. But love for God here is that moment when you and I turn from love of self love of sin, love of the world, we, we repent. That's what turn means, right? We repent of that, and now all of our love is in Christ. He is my hope. He is my prize. He is my treasure. That's what I want to know more than anything else. That's what I want to possess more than anything else. All of life is about having Christ. I turn from this, and you know what I've got to do to make that turn? I've got to come to the end of myself. A lot of people think it's a debate about academics. Well, how can you prove this? And I'm not sure I believe that's never changed anybody. Until we come to the end of ourselves, we will not make that turn and love Christ. We will always love ourselves above and beyond Christ. We've got to come to the end. God's using the events in my life to get me to the end of myself. So I turn and place my faith and trust in Christ. That's that's loving God. That's an event But folks, God hasn't called us to have an event in our lives. He's called us to something much bigger and more important. And that's called according to his purpose. Okay, that's everything going on after the event of coming to Christ. That is staying in the plan. Isn't that what we do when we're saved? God, I want your plan. God, I want to be about what you're about. And now I've got to stay with the plan. And there'll be highs, there'll be lows. There'll be times I'm really clear, other times I'm not so clear, but I'm going to stay with the plan. And what's the finish line? To be conformed into the image of Christ. A lot of us know we quote Romans eight twenty eight, and we leave off the most important phrase there. What is the good that God promises he's doing in our lives? What is the good that God is using? Everything you're going through, been through, he's using that to conform you into the image of Christ. What does that mean? It means when he's done, when you hit the finish line, you look like Jesus. He's using your relationships and decisions, your failures, your successes, your good days, your bad days. He's using all that to chisel. i guessing chiseled is one of those moments where it doesn't feel so good. But he chisels and he polishes. Oh, God. Polish right there a little bit more. I like that. Polishing probably feels it. Don't just think bad stuff. He's chiseling, he's polishing, he's shining, he's remolding, he's reshaping. He's using everything going on in Christ so that when he's done, you look like Christ. Now, folks, let me tell you what that doesn't mean. 
That doesn't mean if we put a picture of you and a picture of Jesus on the wall, we go, oh, look, you're twins. That's not what it means. It means when you go and stand before God the Father, you will be received and you will be rewarded as if you were Jesus Christ. That has to be the miracle of all miracles. When God is done using all this stuff, he's going to love me and provide an eternity for me as if I had lived like Jesus. What a profound purpose for you. What a profound purpose for everything going on in your life. And it lasts forever. Which means with this understanding, okay, I got to put glasses on. I now have to look at every conversation, every relationship. I got to look at everything that went on this past week. And I've got to look at it through this. Folks, this isn't something I do once or twice. This is something you do every night when you get in bed. Every night you get in bed and you think about the conversation, you think about the interaction, the decision that needed to be made, the decision that was made. You think about that person and what they're saying. and You look at everything in your day and you start to pray, God, how do I join you in what you're doing in my life? How do I join you in what you want to be and do for me in that, in and with and through my life? God, help me. Help me hold on to you. Help me not quit the plan. Help me not step back out on my own again. Because we do. Help me to hold on to you until you're done. Thank you. Thank you, God, that you would care so much about me. That you'd be so involved in everything. Everything going on in my life. And have such an incredible plan for it all. I think Joseph knew that. And what's the consequence of knowing that? You land on your feet. I don't think that means there are not some places you go, God, I want to get out of here. This isn't fair. But you have the ability to land on your feet. You have the ability to live for God, to walk for God, to be a witness for God in any and every situation. Folks, the Christian life hasn't showed us very much if it only shows us how to be happy when we're happy. Does that make sense? You know what everybody in your life needs to see? How you hold on to God when there's no reason to hold on to God. And God says, I promise you when you're doing that, you're going to be in awe of how it ends. You will finish You will finish. And you'll look just like Christ. Let's pray. Father, help us stay in the plan. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, that's that's all there really is to it, right? I mean, can't everything in your life that you're praying about be boiled down to that. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I'm pretty sure I'd do the wrong thing and say the wrong, but Lord, help me stay in the plan because you've got this. You know, the plan begins when we 
turn from love of self and we turn to love for Christ. My still, there we go. Uh, and you turn to love for Christ. Listen, if that's a question mark you have in your life, you're not sure if you have that relationship with Christ, you realize until you join God in his plan, you're just killing time. Literally, you're just killing time until you die into a godless, Christless eternity. And there is no purpose in that. There's no grand scheme. There's no great thing to hold on to. But the moment you join Christ, you're a part of a great plan. And if you have questions today about how you can begin that relationship with Christ, I want to encourage you when we're done here in just a second, you go out these doors, there's a desk right in the center. Right above it, it says next steps. That is your next step to a profound purpose for your life. Go out there and just ask, hey, can can you tell me about Jesus, a relationship? However you get it out, I think they'll figure it out. There's folks there ready to talk with you and help you with that. Maybe you have questions about following the Lord in believer's baptism or becoming a member here at the Heights. Go to that same desk and they'll help you with that. Now, that invitation is for a handful of us because most of us in here have turned from love of self and turned to love of Christ. Most, most of us in here have been baptized and we're a member here at the Heights. What a profound moment we get up and walk away from. How do we not start thinking about everything going on in our lives and evaluating everything? Am I holding on to you here? Am I in your plan here? Spirit, guide me into the, just, uh, to the adjustments. Let me see the evidence that you've got control of my life. This is, I hope you'll take time today. I think God has profoundly spoken and presented himself to every person here. I don't know that for a fact, but I believe it. And when God speaks into your heart and life, you need to respond. What's your response? What's your response today? God's awesome, isn't he? God bless. Y'all have a great week.